continue in our sermon series through the book of Colossians, and we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. If you guys would like to turn there. Our verse this morning comes from chapter 3, and it is uh, verse 11. So we're going to spend our time on one verse uh, this morning, but in that, we're going to be kind of going um, all throughout uh, the biblical text this morning. And so if you want to follow along, I'll try and give you the text in advance so you can uh, flip to that part of the Bible to follow along. All right, Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. It says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Dear Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time to come together and get into your word and worship you. And God, I just pray that you would disciple our hearts and that you would place us on mission as we go from this place to love you and your people um, from all nations, from all places, God. For you are king and you are in all things. And God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear you um, everywhere that you are. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So <laughs> this morning in this verse, um, Paul is kind of laying out this new idea. He's kind of challenging social class and kind of our imagination as to who can receive Christ and who can't and who we can be in community with and who we can't be in community with. And he uses this list. He says, first he talks about the Gentile versus the Jew. And here he's kind of talking about race. He's like, there are two different races. There's the Jews who see, see themselves as superior to the, <coughs> to the uh, sorry, not Gentile, to the Greek. And then there's the Greek who sees themselves as superior to the Jew. And the two often are not in relationship with one another. And here, Paul is challenging that idea of race and of cultural status, that these two things don't mix. And he's saying, no, in Christ, these things do come together. These things do mix. He does the same thing <laughs> in saying circumcised and uncircumcised. He's kind of challenging the idea of what is religiously right, what is religiously proper. Because in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the Jews were circumcised, and that's how they were set apart. And they believed that if you were circumcised, it was your birthright, that you belonged to God and God's people. And Jesus kind of came in and challenged all of that. And afterwards, we see in Paul that Paul's saying, look, if you were born uncircumcised, you don't have to go and get circumcised to try and think that this physical thing is this thing that gets you in to this community and into this relationship with God. Relationship with God has already been given to you, and it's in Christ who's in you, who's breathing in you, who's living in you. And then finally, he challenges this kind of social structure, and we see it when he says, barbarian and Scythian. Now, a lot of times, these two lists, up until this point, they've been contrasting each other. They've been like Greek and Jew over here, and we've had <laughs> circumcised and uncircumcised here. But when he says <laughs> um, barbarian and Scythian, what he means is that the barbarians was the social class of people that no one associated with. They were barbaric. They were barbarians. They were kind of nomads. They traveled the place. Nobody really associated with them at all. And then the, the Scythians, they were a people that were worse than the barbarians. Like, even the barbarians did not associate with them. They were an uneducated group of people. They were a violent group of people. And there were people that were kind of like just socially 
exiled. They're like, yeah, don't go over there. Because if you go over there, if you cross that street, you might not come back. You don't know what you're going to experience over there. And here, Paul is saying, even these people, even these people that you say don't belong in society, that don't belong in any type of social situation with you, he's saying even those people belong in the kingdom of God. Even those people have a place, and even in those people, Christ is possible to be in and be a part of. And he continues to challenge the social order because he uses the words then slave and free. With Jesus, he's the ultimate equalizer. He says that the person that's the slave is equal to the master, and the master is equal to the slave, and that's incredibly offensive language, if you think about it. If you go up to a slave master and say, hey, you know these people that you've put below you, that, that you've given them work that you believe is below you, you know, actually, it's equal. We're all deserving of the same thing. We're all deserving of death. We've all fallen. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus has come and equalized that. And he's come to give the same gift to each and every one of us, and that's a new life and a new hope, and a new kingdom that's found in him. <laughs> this past couple of weeks, we've been focusing on the beginning of chapter 3, where it says, that if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We've been thinking of how does heaven future have an impact on present now? And how can we bring heaven future into present now? And so last week we talked about that we have been given a prayer. We've been given a prayer, and this prayer comes from Matthew, and it is, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Last week, we also talked that we've been given a job, and our job is to be priests, and it's to be <laughs> ambassadors for that kingdom, that we should be bringing heaven future into present now as ambassadors and as priests and as people that minister and intercede for one another. And then finally, we said that we've been given a vision, and we've been given a hope of a future heaven. And it's to that hope and to that vision that I want to turn to this morning. We've already read it, and it relates incredibly well to this passage this morning where we tear down every social and physical barrier that exists in our mind, that exists in our neighborhoods, that prevents us from reaching out to people and being on mission for the people that God wants to be a part of in their lives, that God has called us to minister and to be ambassadors to because in the end, in heaven future, there is this place where John looks up and he says, I looked up and I behold there was a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe, from all peoples and language. And they were standing before the throne, before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and there were palm branches in their hands and they were crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne to the glory to the Lamb. That is the hope, that is the vision of heaven future that we've been called by through this prayer, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we're setting our sights on heaven above, this is where Paul is saying, look, all of these barriers that you've set up, they don't exist because Christ is in all and Christ is through all and Christ is all and all. And this is the vision that God has had from the beginning. This is not a new vision. This isn't necessarily a vision about the future, even though this is where we're going, but this is the vision that God has had from the very beginning of time. When we go to Genesis chapter 12, it says this. It says to Abraham, he says to Abraham as he's making this covenant with him, he says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
and I will bless those who bless you, and I will dishonor and curse those who dishonor and curse you. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. This is the vision that God has, is that in us, in the church, in God's people, all of the nations, all of our neighbors would be blessed. That there would be blessing coming out of this church through Monday through Saturday. That we'd come in and get restored and refilled up and that we would encourage each other throughout the week. We'd spur each other on through discipleship and that we would go out and that we would just spread blessing to the nations. We see it repeated again in Exodus when God is talking to Moses at Mount Sinai. He says, Therefore, now, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a treasured possession among all the peoples. All the earth is mine. This sounds like Christ in all, all in all. And it says, And you shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This idea of a kingdom of priests and a holy nation isn't just so that we can (laughs) intercede and pray and support one another. This kingdom of priests that God was establishing was this nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel was to be this priest that interceded for the rest of the world. That was this light of the world that brought hope, that brought blessing, that brought joy, that brought new life. And it's through Jesus that we, as the Gentiles, those who were kind of the Greeks in this passage, were brought in, or grafted in. Those who were uncircumcised, we have this new hope that we can now live with Christ, and also be a part of this blessing and this future hope that we, too, will be in that place one day shouting praise that salvation has come from God and glory to the Lamb. And so it's my hope that we would celebrate that and live that today. Now, a lot of times we can be like, you know what, this vision of heaven future, yeah, I'm on board with that. That sounds really good. And this vision of the past that God gave to Abraham, we're like, yeah, that sounds great. Be a blessing, go be a blessing. We're a nation of priests, sounds good. Ready, break, let's go. But the reality is, is that for as much as we can smile and nod around all this and say, you know what, these are good things, the reality is, is that living this out and executing this is incredibly difficult and incredibly challenging. And we see this right away through a guy named Jonah. Jonah is called to go to be on mission in this place called Nineveh. Now, Nineveh wasn't a Jewish town. Nineveh wasn't part of one of the tribes of Israel. This is God saying, hey, I'm going to do this thing that I've called you to do to be a royal priesthood for the nations, the light of the world, and I want to go and send you on mission to this place so that they might know me and know my love and know my grace. And guess what Jonah does? We all know the story. He gets on a boat and he goes the other way. He's like, no way. And the reason why Jonah gets on the boat and goes the other way is because Nineveh is part of the Assyrians, and the Assyrians are one of the arch enemies of Israel in this day. But to add on to that, at this point in history, Israel had repented from God, and they have kind of relented the Assyrian oppression on them. And so Jonah at this time, not only does he know that the Assyrians have oppressed them, but he knows that God has sent the Assyrians to oppress them because of their sin. Noah has, not Noah, Jonah has seen Israel repent at this time, and they've seen God's grace come to them, and that God has begun to bless the nation of Israel once again. And so now Jonah, he gets this message, say, hey, 
go to Nineveh and give this message of repentance to them. And Jonah knows if he comes with this message of repentance, and if by some chance they listen, his arch enemy is going to receive blessing instead of curse. His arch enemy is going to receive peace instead of strife. Because at this time, God had begun to put pressure on the Assyrians from surrounding nations as well. Things were not fine and dandy in Nineveh at this time as well. And so Jonah's conflicted. He's like, I don't want to go to my arch enemy. I don't want to go to my neighbor. I don't want them to experience the blessing and the peace that I know from our God. And so it gets incredibly difficult. And we see this. Jonah confesses this in Jonah chapter 4. In Jonah, it starts in Jonah chapter 3. It says this. When God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it disappointed Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Oh, Lord, is it not what I said when I was in my own country? This is why I made haste to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting in disaster." And he prays this prayer, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. I mean, this is the heart of Jonah. And I think if we're honest, if we're really honest, if we were given this call to go and be on mission to our arch enemies, where they have brought incredible pain and suffering to our tribe, we'd be a little bit hesitant to go. I'd want to bet that if God told Jonah, hey, I want you to go attack Nineveh and I want you to be a military leader and I want you to bring Nineveh to destruction and I'm going to do it through you. No, he would have been the first one to sign up. He'd have been like, God, where's my tank? Let's go. But instead, God calls Jonah to be a person of peace. He calls him to go and be a prophet. He calls him to go and be a priest, to intercede for the city of Nineveh. And it's incredibly, incredibly uncomfortable. And this is what we find in the kingdom of God, is that the kingdom of God is not based on our preferences. It's not based on who we want in and who we want out, but it's about what God wants and who, what God has called us as his people to go do. We see this also being kind of incredibly difficult when we fast forward to the New Testament and we see Jesus in the book of John. Jesus in the book of John is with his disciples and he says, hey guys, it just so happens that we're on this journey and we have to go through Samaria. We have to go through this area called Samaria. And if you're the disciples, they're kind of groaning and dragging their feet. They're like, really, Samaria? Now, what you have to understand is that if you went through Samaria, you were ceremonially unclean, according to the Jewish law at that time, because there was an intermarrying between the Jews and the Gentiles there. They were seen as an unclean people. They were actually seen as kind of this bastardized race of Israel. What had happened in Israel's past, just a short history lesson, is that Solomon is king, Solomon dies, and Solomon's son, Rehoboam, comes into power. And the northern kingdoms decide to go to civil war and rebel against Rehoboam because Rehoboam has put on them 
labor that was so fierce. Rehoboam goes to his advisors. He's like, hey, what should I do with the slave labor of Israel? And they're like, you should probably let it up. Your father was pretty fierce. And he comes back in his youth and he's like, no, I'm going to make it 10 times harder. I'm going to make it so difficult. I mean, he enslaves his own people. And so they rebel and they get a king called Jeroboam. And so from that point on, there's a northern kingdom and there's the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom can, can, consists of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And when we're in the New Testament, Israel, as kind of formally known at the time, we're talking about actually the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. The other ten tribes have kind of been disappeared or have been absorbed into this northern kingdom. And so throughout the rest of the Bible, there's prophets for the northern kingdom and prophets for the southern kingdom. And they build their own temple in the northern kingdom. And eventually what happens is that the Syrians, the Syrians just never go away. They come in and they take over the northern kingdom. They kind of lay waste to the northern kingdom and they take them in as slaves. And kind of Judaism as we know it and Israel, as far as the northern kingdom, kind of dies and ends. And so the people intermarry. And man, the southern kingdom held that against the northern kingdom kind of forever. Even today, there's just a little bit of this divide. And so in this place, as they're going to Samaria, the disciples are kind of dragging their feet. They're like, really? We got to go through this kind of like half-breed of a town? I mean, it wasn't just that like they didn't not trust each other, that there was just kind of like this racial thing going on. There was like deep hate between the two groups. And so much so that they had built a a road that would go around Samaria so that you wouldn't have to defile yourself as you're on your way up north. And so the Jews were accustomed to saying, taking the highway, taking the belt line, just right around the city. That's what they created. But instead, Jesus is like, nope, we got to go through the city. We got to go through the city. And when Jesus comes to the city, he sends his disciples away to go get some food. And Jesus sits down with a woman. A woman at the well. And at this time, a woman was this lower class citizen of society. And so this woman was a Samaritan. She's sitting at this well. Jesus knows her sin. She's been with five different guys. She's been married five different times, divorced five times. And the man that she's with right now isn't her husband. But there Jesus is, ministering to her, loving her. And it's really interesting that as he invites her to drink, to drink this living water, to know him, he invites her to bring this husband and her sin is revealed. And then she kind of turns this question about worship. She says, our fathers worship on this mountain. And it's because of this divided kingdom. When the kingdom divided, they created their own temple, their own worship mount. And they worshiped God from this place. And then, but she points to Jesus and she says, but you guys worship on this other mountain in Jerusalem. And Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, there's an hour coming when neither this mountain nor the mountain in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Jesus is pointing to the future reality, this future hope, this vision that was present in the beginning where all nations of all tongues and all tribes would be ministered through his people. And he says that there will be true worship there will be true worshipers of the Father who worship in spirit and truth. And the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. 
The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, it is I who speak to you. I am he. And then later in the passage, it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So the Samaritans came to him and they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many believed because of his words. The woman said, and they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said we believe, for we have heard ourselves. We know that indeed this is the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world, not just for Israel, not just for Judah and Benjamin and the Pharisees and those who thought that they had kept religious purity through all of these trials and turmoils. I mean, that was kind of the deal. That's what was going on. As you had the southern kingdom looking down at the northern kingdom, you're like, look guys, you messed up. You screwed it up. God punished you. You're out. And you're never coming back. And can you imagine Jesus coming into this Samaritan town and he's talking to this woman at this well and if you're one of the disciples and he's talking about being the savior of the world. I mean, if you're part of this northern kingdom, if you're part of Samaria, you're like, the family's getting back together. This guy isn't just for Judah and Benjamin anymore, but he's for all of us. And the family's going to be reunited. And Jesus is saying, yes, that's exactly what I have came here for. I've come to restore the family of God. And it extends to all reaches of the world. But it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It requires going into a city that you, of people that you don't trust. It requires going into a place and ministering to a person that has maybe a ton of sin, maybe a ton of personal problems going on, maybe things that you feel unequipped to deal with, but you're coming with the good news of Jesus, that he has come to restore and bring life and bring hope. But it's uncomfortable. We've got to go to the Ninevehs. We've got to go to the Samarians. And then finally, the script is kind of turned in Luke chapter 10, in this parable of the Good Samaritan. There's this lawyer and he's questioning Jesus. He's like, Jesus, what do I have to do to obtain eternal life? He's saying, what do I have to do to be a part of your kingdom? Your kingdom that has come and your kingdom that's coming, what do I need to do to be a part of that? And Jesus answers him, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And he's probably like, check, 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 got that. And then he finally says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Sorry, this is what this guy's saying. Never mind. I got that wrong. So this is what the guy says to Jesus. Love the Lord with all your soul, strength, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says to him, you've answered correctly. But this is where the guy hesitates. Got out of myself. The guy hesitates. He's like, and who is my neighbor? He's like, loving God with all my strength, mind, soul, spirit. He's like, those things make sense. But who is my neighbor? Who's this neighbor fellow that you want me to take care of? And Jesus replies ever so wittingly with a story. And he says this. He says, there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and he was stripped, and he was beaten, and he departed, and he was left half dead. Now by chance, there's a priest going down the road. There was a priest. Certainly the priest would intercede. I mean, we're called to be priests. We've been called to go and be on mission and to serve and help those and to be a light. 
especially one of our own kind, because a person traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho would have most definitely been an Israelite proper at the time, one from the tribe of Judah or Benjamin. And so this priest, surely the priest would go and serve and help his own, but the priest walks by. So likewise, a Levite, who's also a member of the priesthood, who's also called to serve, to a life of service, to a life of interceding for the people of God, he too came by. And he saw him. And he passed by on the other side. But then there was a Samaritan. This guy that's coming from Samaria. This guy who doesn't trust the Israelites. The guy that's got some bad blood in the family. He comes walking down the road and he sees the man. And he goes up to him and he binds up his wound and he pours oil and wine on them. And he sets him on his own animal and he brings him to an inn and he takes care of him. And the next day he takes out two denarii and he gives them to the innkeeper and he says, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I'll repay you back when I come back. You see this Samaritan. This guy who wasn't a priest, this guy who wasn't a Levi, lives out more of what it is to be a priest and what it is to be an ambassador and what it is to intercede and what it is to be a part of the kingdom of God, future, and bringing it into present than any of these other guys that should have known this, that should have known what the kingdom of God was about. The Samaritan comes in and he breathes new life. And in this, you've got to imagine that there's some healing in the relationship between the two families. Because there's going to be this Israelite guy that says, you know what? This Samaritan guy helped me out when I was in a real bad way. And I owe him with my life. There's going to be a bond. There's going to be a relationship. Whenever you step into someone else's suffering and you intercede for them, that is a holy place of deep relationship, of deep intimacy, and an incredible place where God's healing and God's kingdom can come into that person's life and breathe new life. And so Jesus comes back to the story and he asks the guy, he says, which of these do you think is your neighbor? He said, well, the one who showed the man mercy. He says, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. And it it is these things, it is this vision of the nations worshiping in heaven and of being called a nation of priests to go and bring God's kingdom wherever we're at that I believe is the message and the hope for us this morning. But as we've read, the journey's tough and it's costly and it is incredibly uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable for, for the disciples to enter into Samaria. It was uncomfortable for Jonah to enter into Nineveh. It was uncomfortable, I believe, for the Samaritan to get into the ditch and to bind up some wounds, and it cost him money, and it cost him time. I mean, the guy was on a journey. He had a place to go. He had people to do. He had things to do, people to see. But he hits pause, and he steps into that sacred space of shared suffering and of shared hope and of shared love. The kingdom of God is not based on our preferences. And so many times we want it to be. So many times it's about 
well, I like the worship music, or I like this, or I like that we have snacks beforehand, or oh, they didn't have snacks beforehand, so I'm not coming back. Or I mean, so much of our imagination of what the kingdom of God is based solely and completely on our pre- preference. And Jesus says, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you've got to set your preference aside. And you've got to allow me and my spirit to come and transform your heart. And it might require stepping into some really uncomfortable places, but you go by faith. You go by faith knowing that God who created the world is living inside of you and that he's going to empower you and give you words to speak when you get there. He's going to give you the compassion that you need when you get there. He's going to allow you to see the need and meet the need when you get there. Our God has called us to step out of our comfort zone. Our God has challenged us to go do radical things. And I know, I know that we're people that like to sit back in some ways. And we do some things. We'll do the baby bottle campaign, and that's radical. God is doing some good stuff. But I know that there are people that God has brought into relationship into our lives that are suffering, that need a priest, that need us to intercede. And for us, it is incredibly uncomfortable to step into that place. It's incredibly frightening. And we're like, man, I'm, I'm just lacking boldness. I'm lacking initiative. And I just want to encourage you guys with this, that there is no barrier that God cannot break. And that he wants to empower us with a vision of the future kingdom to bring that kingdom to reality now. And so we just need to pray. We need to pray. I want to pray right now, actually, for us, that this week God would give us some strength to step into some uncomfortable places and that we would hear God's voice clearly saying, yes, here in this place. And maybe, maybe it doesn't look like doing anything radical. It normally doesn't. Normally it just looks like asking some questions, hearing a story, and offering some of yourself to them. Well, I want to pray that over us. Right now, I'm not done yet, but I just feel called that we need to pray right now for us, for this body, that we might go and do this this week. Dear God, I just come to you, and this passage is uncomfortable. God, we confess that there are barriers in our mind that, do, that prevent us from crossing the street, that prevent us from entering neighborhoods. And God, we confess this to you, and God, we pray that you would heal us from it. God, we pray that you would bring the imagination and, and the reality of heaven future, of us singing and praising you and declaring your salvation. God, I pray that you would make that reality present to us now and that you would give us the boldness and the strength to walk out boldly to our neighbors, to our friends, to our coworkers, to those that you've intentionally placed around us so that we might be a priest that we might serve and that we might love and that we might have compassion on those that are suffering and hurting around us, God. God, give us the strength to step in to that place of uncomfortableness. Let us step into that place of awkward. But God, let us also step in that holy place where your kingdom comes and brings healing and joy and fruit. God, teach us to be a people that is a people that brings blessing to others. God, give us creativity to know what that means, to bring blessing to those who you've placed around us. We love you, God, and we want to be your people. We want to be your disciples on mission for you. In your name we pray, amen.
So a couple application points. It's just that I think we walk around and I think we see people that are below us, whether it's conscious or not. I know there have been times where I've looked at a job or I've looked at a thing or I've left some trash over there because I'm like, that's below me. They pay somebody to pick that up. I was incredibly humbled by my wife when we were at a restaurant one day and we dropped some cheese on the floor and it kind of got mushed into the floor. And, you know, I'm just like, uh, I think we should leave it. And my wife, like, starts to wipe down and she starts to, like, clean that up. And I'm like, wow. Thanks for cleaning that up. I'm like, I'm really blessed that you clean that cheese up. Because here I was thinking, you know what? They pay somebody that, that cheese on the ground in this restaurant. That place is actually below me because I'm the customer and I'm always right. But my wife, she saw the humanity behind the person that would have to reach down and scrub that carpet. She's like, that's not what that person's paid to do. We're the one that dropped the cheese. We're the one that smashed it in with our feet on accident. And we began to see the humanity of it. And I believe in that small way, the kingdom of God came into reality. Because we're like, hey, we're equals. Christ is in all and through all. There's also some people in our lives that we elevate, that we put way up on a pedestal. And God says, you need to knock that off too. Because it's not fair. It's not fair for that person that you elevate on this pedestal. And it's also not true. Because we're equal. And so if there's not going to be people below you, there's not going to be people above you. The only person above us is Christ and Christ alone. And so my hope is that as we go from this place, we'd be challenged to think about this. Who are we putting up way too high? And who are we viewing way too low? And how can we begin to view each other as God views each and every one of us? And that's through Christ, in Christ, who's in and through all things. I think the next challenge is who are the people that are difficult in our lives? Is it our bosses? Is it our neighbors? Who are the people that are difficult? Who are the people that are difficult that God has called us to go bless? Who are the Ninevites? Who are the Samaritans? Who are the people that God is calling us to go love and bless instead of curse and hope that they just move away? God has called us to go and love these people. So I just want to challenge us. Let's get to know our neighbors. I just met the neighbors to the right of us. And like yesterday, I was like, all right, we're almost a year in, and I finally met all the neighbors that are around us. I mean, it's taken me a year. And as I talked to the neighbor on the porch, we were both just standing there like, why is it taking a year? And both of us were like, we don't know. But it was so good to meet. It was so good to connect. Because it's from that initial connection, that stepping into that awkwardness that's going to last maybe five to ten minutes. But man, from that awkwardness, you can know a couple things about them. You can start praying, God, how can I bless this family? How can I bless these people? How can I invite them over? How can I invite them in? How can we reach out? This is what that one neighbor talked about. They're like, they're like, yeah. They're like, the Bernsteins who lived here, they're like, we were in really good relationship with them. And they're like, and I think it was just because they continually reached out to us. I was like, oh man. I was kind of humbled in that place. I was like, here, the Bernsteins had given this rhythm, this pattern of reaching out, and here we kind of sat in our house for almost a year, never reaching out to them, kind of breaking this cycle of what they know about Damascus Road to be true. And I was just like, look, man, I'm really sorry. And so I'm looking to reach out more 
to this family. Maybe it's having a play date with the kids that are on your block. Maybe the kids that you would not really love your kids to have a play date with. Because I know there's those kids. I know there's those families where you're like, yeah, you're not hanging out with them. But maybe God is saying, instead of saying, yo, you're not hanging out with them, maybe it's a challenge to say, hey, let's invite them in. And let's hang out together. And let's provide a place where we can (laughs) minister and intercede for these kids and love them. And love them well for God and God's kingdom. I don't know where God has placed you. I don't know the challenges that you face. I don't know the communities that you're in. But I know that there are people suffering. There are people that are in need of the hope of salvation, the hope of heaven future to come ripping in to their present right now. And I believe that today's challenge is for God to send us on mission to go and intercede and to be a kingdom of priests and of ambassadors. So I just want to leave us again with the same three things that I left us last week and that we go from this place armed with a prayer. The prayer for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've been armed with a vocation that God has blessed and ordained and he's put his spirit, the spirit that was there at the beginning of creation, the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead to go out and be ambassadors and to be priests and to go and bless the nations and bless those that are around us. And then finally, we've been given a vision of heaven. Of heaven to come that we can bring into reality now. And so it's my hope that as we leave this place that we would go like Joshua and take the land. Because it's going to happen not through Damascus Road doing any type of program, any type of missional outreach with our logo on it, with worship, discipleship, mission. What it's going to take is it's going to take a people that embrace worship, discipleship, and mission and do it through the local relationships that God has placed into our lives. That's how the kingdom of God is going to grow through this church. And that's how he's calling us to move as Paul challenges these barriers that we put into place, that Paul essentially says these are false barriers. And so, let's go. You guys pray with me. Dear Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this verse in Colossians. God, we thank you for the command to set our sights above. And we thank you that you have not left us void of an imagination of what's above and what you plan to bring to this earth and what you've already brought to this earth. And God, we continue to pray for your healing and for your grace and for your mercy in our lives. God, I pray that you would make us a priest of priest of people that do take care of one another, that serves one another, that looks out for one another, but that would expand beyond these walls and this community and that you would give us the boldness to love and to care for others, so that one day we might worship together as all nations, as all tribes, of all languages, declaring how great and marvelous your salvation is. And God, we praise you for that this morning. God, we praise you that we are saved. We praise you that you have taken away our sins. And we praise you that you have made us equal with one another in the blessing that is your Son. God, may you continue to renew us. May you continue to transform us. May you continue to challenge us and encourage us as we go. And all the glory be to your name. In your name we pray. Amen.